Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. We all have, we all have our version of Jesus, right? That we go to time and time again. We also have our thing about holidays that we go to, right? We tend to celebrate holidays with people that we prefer to celebrate them with because there are things that have to happen on holidays. So for example, the little baby Jesus, the Christmas Jesus, my God brother loves mashed potatoes at Christmas. It's not Christmas if there are not mashed potatoes. I learned the hard way that it's not just mashed potatoes at Christmas. It's our, it's his mom, my God mom's mashed potatoes at Christmas. I can't make the mashed potatoes. It won't be Christmas. How many of you understand that? What about potato salad? We don't eat, like we, most of us, my mom was an exception, but most of us eat potato salad. Right? I see some no's. But here's the thing. We don't like all kinds of potato salad, which means we don't like everyone's potato salad. So though they're like, hey, come to my barbecue, there's going to be potato salad. You're like, who made it? Because there's a difference between like German potato salad and Southern potato salad. And then even within the South, like depending on, I think it's related to the kind of barbecue, related to the kind of barbecue. So more vinegary barbecue, there's more mayo sweeter barbecue there's more mustard in the potato salad recipes i've i've done extensive research (laughs) i ate my way through several states trying to figure this out um i haven't written the paper on it so if you if you google it, it it won't show up but i believe this is this is how it happened now here's the thing that we also know my mom i saw some heads about not liking potato salad i didn't know until i was 16 years old i think i shared with y'all that my mama didn't like potato salad she made it several times a year People requested her potato salad. I was about 16 years old. She calls me from my room. And you don't, don't, why? Why? Am I in trouble? What's going on? I need you to taste the potato salad. Mama, why can't you taste the potato salad? I don't know why I didn't get slapped, but I didn't. I don't know how this is supposed to taste. My entire life explodes before my eyes and I found out so my mom's like I don't know how this is supposed to taste I don't like potato salad I just make it because y'all ask me to and y'all like mine and like that's the thing that happens with holidays in the name of community and peace and belonging we show up and if we don't like someone's potato salad and we're a guest we just fold our plate You put your napkin on top of it, and you put your plate upside down in the trash, and then you put something on top of it. (laughs) We hide. We hide when we're supposed to be connecting. And so as we approach the 245th commemoration of the 4th of July tomorrow, because of these ways that we know that we hide, these socially acceptable, funny ways that we hide, I want to ask the same question that actually Frederick Douglass asked in 1852. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? 
Now, we don't like to talk about slavery, enslavement, being a slave, who, who is considered a slave or not. But the legal definition of slavery is the status or condition of a person whom any or all of the powers attaching to their rights of ownership are exercised. With Dallas and North Texas in general ranking in the top five, sometimes the top three, in human trafficking. It's important that as a community charged with praying and loving and caring for one another, that we understand not just conceptually what slavery was, but what it is. Because we have to ask ourselves uncomfortable questions, just like Frederick Douglass did on July 5th, 1856. Now, mind you, you can eat the potato salad and then wait to the 5th like Frederick Douglass. He wasn't at (laughs) the barbecue on the 4th turning over tables. Jesus did that. He sat at the table. He enjoyed his potato salad. And then on the 5th, very reflectively, he asks, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer a day that reveals to him more than all others days in the years, the gross injustice and cruelty that is a constant victimization. To him, your celebration is a slam, is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness swelling with vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciation of tyrants, brass-footed impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality are hollow mockery. Your prayers and your hymns, your sermons and thanksgiving, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to the slave a mere fraud, deception, and hypocrisy. A thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than the people of the United States at this very hour. It's hard to deal with complexities when we want to celebrate. But to hear Frederick Douglass's words are important when we try to understand how we sometimes mix these things that are they really about church with church? Because see what Frederick Douglass was pointing out was how the 4th of July was a prayer and a hope, a prayer and a hope that seemed contradictory to the other prayers and hopes that were happening at the very same time. See, for our curious and diverse community, it's not only important to have an understanding of inclusivity in the commemoration of July 4th, so including those who were questioning, including those who weren't quite sure. It's also important to have a clear picture of what actually happened in 1776 and 1777 that we decided to celebrate. Because see, the thing about it is, is that in 1776, and then when we decided to celebrate it in 1777, there was still a war raging. Independence or freedom, whichever, however you want to slice the nuance, had not been won. And it wouldn't be won until 1783. So somehow... We're six years into a bloodbath, 
And six years away from knowing that we've won in any sort of way, and we decided to throw a party. We're just going (laughs) to. It sounds like putting up a tree during a pandemic. It sounds like having a parking lot service when we don't know how close we can get to one another. It sounds like having a birthday party and a birthday cake on the day that a preemie is born, but you're not quite sure how the years to come are going to go. It sounds like surrender. It sounds like surrender to faith and hope and to the things that come up in Ecclesiastes when we're told that though life has its highs and lows, break bread with your friends, enjoy your wife and your kids. See, the thing in 1776 that happened was basically just a bunch of white men writing a letter to the manager saying, I don't like what you're doing. There wasn't a lot of pomps and circumstance. There wasn't like the war had started in 1775. In 1776, what was still happening was that the British soldiers were still just shooting people in the streets for no reason. That big tea party, that big protest, that big thing where they poured, let's see, the exact number is $100 million worth of damage. $100 million in today's money of tea into, it wasn't even the ocean. It's not even a big thing. It was a bay. Have any of y'all ever been to a bay on the East Coast, whether it's in Maryland or Rhode Island? They're tiny little things, like three boats fit in them. They're not these, they're not huge, huge things. Can you imagine a hundred million dollars worth of damage? Oh my gosh. And that's just economically. We're not even gonna talk about how did people fish? What happened to the fish? What were the implications of their protest on the ecosystem and people's food supply? My kid's mad because we can't find dino nuggets whenever we want to. Before the Americans were celebrating on July 4th, 1776, they were just people who were scared. They were scared that they might get shot on the way to the store. They were scared that their sons wouldn't come home. And the thing that they would have, the thing that reminded them of home, though they had committed to doing this new thing, now costs too much for them to have. Tea went up. Inflation had gone up. And tea was up ninefold. The drink you just had at three o'clock in the afternoon to reconnect with your family. I mean, we don't understand inflation, do we? We don't understand how something that seems so small, when you can't find it, it feels like your whole world is crashing whether that's formula or tea or gas. 
or dino nuggets. For three hours, they executed a carefully planned and calculated event that caused more than $100 million in property damage because they couldn't afford to sleep in their own beds. That's the complexity that Frederick Douglass is talking about. That you are experiencing the very same thing that I am experiencing and yet you don't see how we're connected. (sighs) See, what the British were doing to the colonists was the very same thing that we see being done today. They were pulling people from their homes. They were stopping people in the streets. They were preventing them from having even the tiniest of joys. And so when tea is being spilled, when windows are being broken, whether it's fire hoses and rubber bullets that emerge, when the police, the henchmen, the military, the doctors kill us, each of us, all of us, as it turns out, as time rolls, what should be the response? Should we tell people we're not coming to eat potato salad with them? We're not actually free yet? Neither were they. Not in the ways that mattered to them. Believe it or not, Jesus thought of this. We find the best example in our tradition as Christ followers, by Christ himself in Matthew chapter 14. See, after Jesus had heard of the beheading of John the Baptist, through the power of King Herod, it's not just like, oh, I found out my friend died. I found out my friend died because the king said, can you make sure this guy's friend dies? Oof. And instead of going to find some quiet place to cry by himself, Jesus heads into the fray. He sat with the people, some of the same people that probably had laid offerings at King Herod's throne. And he broke bread with them and he fed them. And as they sat in grief under the threat of attack together, because they were being seen with him. Chapter 14, starting around verse 9, reads, The king was grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he commanded it be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. The head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew withdrew from that place into a boat to a deserted place by himself, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him. Him on foot from the towns, and when he went ashore, he saw a great cat crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and how late. 
crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy their food. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides them women and children. We looked at this miracle in the book of John. But the story shifts just a little bit and we turn the prism and we learn of this story from Matthew. See, Jesus wanted to be alone. He was sad. I mean, John the Baptist, not only the dude who baptized him, but do you remember how John reacted when Mary showed up with her pregnant belly? Do you remember He danced inside of Elizabeth. And when he realized he couldn't be alone, he could have taken the opportunity that he didn't have anything to feed them to be like, oh, well, disperse the crowd. We ain't got nothing for them. We're good. I've blessed them. I've cured them. Now I can go be alone. But he didn't. He pressed in even further. Friends, It's hard to understand where a human might find something like that. We push it off on Jesus and we're like, oh, that must have been his divine part. But here at Life in Deep Ellum, we have a different point of view. As artists and musicians, particularly in times and spaces like this, where there's complexity among the celebration, artists often give us something to hold on to before the smoke and the fog that obscure things has cleared. My Angelou told us that the truth is no one of us can be free until everyone is free. And so today, beloveds, I in all the ways that I show up as someone's mom, as someone's daughter, as someone's pastor, as a woman, as someone who loves Christ, as the daughter of an immigrant. There are so many ways that I grieve, though I know had I been born in any other place or time, honestly, y'all, they'd have killed me. I wouldn't get to be in community. And so, beloveds, how do we sit with each other in grief when there's a party going on? How do we eat and break bread when grief overtakes us? Christ says we nourish ourselves together. As we have both light and burdens. We've talked about this before. We painted and wrote our burdens on a rock and you took them home and you've done with them whatever the spirit said. But in this moment, sometimes it's not our burden. It's not the one we've tucked away someplace privately. 
Sometimes, even as we pick up rocks that are heavy to us and we put them in some place sacred, they just keep showing up. How do we be with each other in complex times like this? Christ said, we go into the fray. We find a way to sit with each other, even if it means stuffing bread in our mouth so we don't say anything wrong. And so in this moment, I'd like you to hold your rock or the rock that belongs to some large cultural burden that you have a hard time naming or understanding. And I want you to turn the light on on your candle and hold that as well. Because even when we are burdened, just as in celebrations, there is light. The Christ candle is with us once again. This time via the Holy Spirit in these ordinary times. And so I pray, give to each of us a candle of the spirit, O God, as we go down into the deeps of our being. Show us the hidden things, the creatures of dreams, the storehouse of forgotten memories and hurts. Take us down to the spring of light, life, and tell each of us our nature and our name. Give us freedom to grow in order that we may each become that self, the seed of which you painted in us at our making. Out of the deeps we cry, O God. What Christ showed us is that we do not have to hold on so tightly to even our burdens or our light. That we need them in the world for the days that are too complicated to name. And so I don't want you to hold on to those lights or those candles as Carrie and Christy sing. When you're ready to release them, I'd like you to bring them into community and place them on this table. And they can stay here as we go out and do whatever we do today, potato salad or not.